the end of last year, Ben and Douglas asked if I would speak in January. And they said, just share a word that you have for the church for 2022. And when they said that to me, my first reaction was, because the past two years have been really hard. They've been really hard. They've been hard for me. They've been hard for my family. And I know they've been really hard for all of y'all. So I struggled. I was like, what is a word that I can bring to the church at the start of 2022? And then I saw this Instagram post. Because you know, Instagram is the pinnacle of all wisdom. And when I saw this post, I was like, that is it. That is the word that I'm gonna bring to the church at the start of 2022. I felt it so deeply, just connected with me. And it said this, New Year's Eve 2020. This is gonna be our year. New Year's Eve 2021. It's fine, back to normal soon. New Year's Eve 2022. Dead silence with uncertainty. That was my word. That was the word that I was most deeply connecting with as we started off 2022. Dead silence with uncertainty. Anyone feel me? Anyone relate to that? Good, glad I'm not alone. But I'm sure that that was probably not what you expected to say, me to say when I said, I have a word for us this morning, was not dead silence with uncertainty. But I'm sure you expected me to say something about fresh starts and new beginning and, and all of those happy New Year's things. And normally, up until this year, New Year's has been one of my favorite holidays because I'm a hopeless romantic and I believe in big dreams and big possibilities and that we can all be different people at the end of a year if we just dream dreams that are big enough. But this year, like that post suggests, I was just not feeling it. Like I was not feeling the new year. I was not feeling the excitement. And I think that we all thought that 2021 was gonna be this year where we were refreshed and renewed and ready to take on the everything 2022 had for us. Well, if you're anything like me, I feel like the exact opposite happened because I've never felt more hopeless or discouraged going into a new year than I did this one. And when I realized that I was having all these feelings, that I didn't know how to dream this year, I went to the Lord with it and I was like, what's going on? Why am I feeling all these things? What's going on in my heart? And he said something that really surprised me. He said, you are in the desert. And I was kind of shocked because I didn't realize I was in the desert. Nothing big had happened to me to make me feel like I was in a desert season, but I felt the Lord say that. And then I felt him continue by saying, you've been here, Ooh, sorry. You've been here for a while and you're starting to lose something. You're losing your ability to dream. And if any of you feel the way that I am feeling going into this year, discouraged, maybe a little hopeless, maybe a little lost, might I suggest that you might also be in a desert season. And in this season, you might be losing pieces of yourself that the Lord wants to bring back together in 2022 as he teaches all of us how to dream with him again, even in the midst of the desert. As many of you may know, and some of you may not know, we're very into dreaming here at Grace Marietta. <laughs> Who knows what our mission statement is here? Can anyone say it? Yes, it is awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. We believe that every single person has this kingdom calling that God has created them for, that he has declared over their life, that they are meant to live these big kingdom callings. And that all sounds great and encouraging and wonderful until you find yourself in the desert and you've lost your will to dream. You don't know how to dream with the Lord anymore. You can't even imagine this beautiful kingdom dream that he has mapped out for you. It doesn't feel possible. 
exactly a year ago, at the start of 2021, we did this series called Awakening, where we went through what a kingdom dream means to our church family. If you're new to Grace Marietta, or you don't know what I'm talking about with this whole kingdom dream thing, I encourage you to check it out. But during that series, Ben introduced a tool to us called the Two Mountains Tool. And I'm going to reflect on that today to talk about dreaming in the desert. So we have it here. It's just two mountains. It's what it sounds like. And we call the first mountain orientation and the second mountain reorientation. So orientation is who you are right now. It's you in your story up to this point. It's how you live. It's how you walk with the Lord. Reorientation is this future dream that the Lord has given you for who you can become, who you can be transformed into. And a lot of times we discover our kingdom dream because of our orientation. We realize maybe something isn't quite right with us or with the world. And we're like, I dream something bigger, which leads us to wanna to go to that second mountain to reorientation. But as many of us know, because we've walked through it or we've seen others walk through it in our lives or we've seen it in scripture, we often have to walk through a desert or disorientation to get to the second mountain. We see this time and time again. And many of us understand this truth that we have to walk through hard things to get to the good that the Lord has for us. But many of us want our two mountains in a desert to look like this. Next slide. Yeah, these two big, beautiful mountains with this tiny desert in the middle. Like maybe you only need one water bottle to walk through that desert. And then you're just there. You're in reorientation on the other side. But what do we do when our stories actually look like this? This mountain way out in the future with this sprawling desert in front of us where we can barely see the dream that we felt like God declared over our life. What do we do with that? Most of us don't know what the size of our desert will be before we enter it. I believe that there are two different reasons that we normally end up in the desert. The first is that we receive revelation that leads to a dream. We realize in our orientation that something isn't exactly right and we need to make a change. We need to start a job or quit a job or move or begin a relationship or end a relationship or get out of some sort of harmful situation. You get what I mean? Think about the Israelites who left slavery and ended up in the desert for 40 years. They knew that slavery wasn't good, but they also didn't expect to be wandering in the desert for 40 years to get to the promises that God has for them. My husband and I have had this sort of desert experience time and time again in our life by choices that we have made. In 2015, we moved to Washington, D.C. for my husband to pursue what we thought was his kingdom dream. And we had our second mountain fully in front of us. We knew what the dream was. He would go to grad school, graduate in two years, get this awesome job in Washington, D.C., where we would save massive amounts of money for several years before we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where I would, where I would enter into my kingdom dream of working for this very specific nonprofit. That was it. We knew the second mountain. And we knew the desert. We had it mapped out in our mind. All we had to do was move to a new city, move into a new community, and navigate two years of grad school while I was working full-time. Well, I'm here to tell you that it did not end up like that at all. I mean, is this Nashville, Tennessee? Like, is that where we're at right now? No, it's not. The job I had, I barely lasted in for a year before I had to quit because of my mental health. I started a second job that I also didn't like. It took my husband three and a half years to finish grad school, which I now know is actually really normal. They should put a disclaimer on those things. And then, not only did he not get a job when he graduated, he's still waiting for one three years later. And somewhere along the line, I ended up in full-time ministry, which was not the plan. That was my third DC job. And we ended up here, back in my hometown, something I swore I would never do. 
Now, some of those things are good reorientations that the Lord did in our life. Me, working in full-time ministry is a great reorientation. Living here, we love it, where we wanted to be. But some of those things were not on plan and they're still not on plan. The second way I think we find ourselves in the desert is that we're thrown in, either by the hardships of this world, a tragedy, a loss, something happens to us, or God throws us into the desert because we're walking in some sort of harmful pattern, or he wants to reveal our kingdom dream to us. Think about Naomi and Ruth who went through tragedy. They were thrown into the desert. They lost their husbands, they lost their son, and they had to figure out what is next? What is our second mountain? Where do we go from here? And they decided to go together. Or Paul on the road to Damascus where he was blinded because he was persecuting the church. And in that desert moment, God gave him his kingdom dream while rooting out the harmful things that he was walking in. In 2018, in the midst of all of our other DC crazy, I was thrown into the desert. It was very unexpected. I was thrown into this season of doubt where I was just questioning who God was and who I was. It came out of nowhere and in a matter of minutes, I was thrown from the top of my first mountain into the depths of the desert. It was truly a disorienting season. And I had to figure out what to do next. That's what the desert does to us. I believe most of our stories and stories of other believers that we see in scripture can be mapped out through these two ways. Think about Esther, Daniel, Abraham, Sarah, the disciples, the prophets, all of them had to walk through the hard things of the desert to get to the promises that the Lord had for them on that second mountain. I think one of the hardest things about dreaming in the desert is all the sand which may seem obvious, but it's a matter of perspective. Has anyone ever been in a desert? Oh, huh, 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 a few people, great, awesome. Has anyone ever been to Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado? Todd, me and you, Todd, that's great. Well, I think that Sand Dunes National Park is a great illustration, a real life illustration for our two mountains drawing. We have a picture of it here. It is an actual desert in the middle of two mountain peaks. You can see it there when you're standing on the top of the first mountain, you can see the whole desert. You can look at that and be like, I could probably do that. I could probably walk that desert. You might even be able to map out your course. Like this looks like the shortest path to the other side where that second mountain is. Well, like I just said, I have also been to Sand Dunes National Park and this is me at Sand Dunes. It's a terrible picture because it's from 2009, but we have a little circle and an arrow here. I'm down there at the bottom of that dune. I had to take a break going up one sand dune. And there is not even the glimpse of a mountain in sight because this is what the perspective of the desert does to us. Look at how small I am compared to just one dune that I had to hike up. It's so easy for us to get what is, forget what is on the other side when we are in the desert. Think about the Egyptians. When they were in the middle of the desert, they got a discouraging report. The scouts that they had sent out to look at the promised land came back and they were like, yeah, this is never gonna happen. Like the inhabitants of the promised land, they're too strong, we're never gonna make it. And they wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go back to the orientation that they left because the desert perspective was so hard. They had forgotten the truth of what it was actually like on that first mountain. And they had forgotten the truth of the promises that God had declared over them to bring them to their second mountain. He never promised them it would be easy. He just promised that he would do it. For many of us, when we're in the desert, when this is our view, yeah, this is a little bit better, more high quality image of Sand Dunes National Park than 2009 where I'm sitting there in my tank top, but this is what it looks like. 
We all saw it from that first perspective, but this is what it's like on the ground. Look how small those people are. It's so easy to forget what we're fighting for when we are here in this perspective. So hard to dream about what our second mountain could look like. You'll recall me saying that crisis of um, faith I had in 2018 where I was having the season of doubt. And during that time, I was thrown into the desert. I didn't even know what my second mountain looked like. I didn't want it. I loved my first mountain. I thought everything was great on the first mountain. I had this awesome relationship with the Lord. My third job in DC was going well. I had this great relationship with my husband. I had all these prophetic words spoken over me. I had tangibly felt the presence of the Lord. And here, for some reason, I was in the desert and I could not see anything past the pile of sand in front of me. All I wanted was to go back to that first mountain. But God had different plans for me, plans that I could only learn about, dreams that I could only discover in the desert. So how do we do it? How do we dream when all we see in front of us is a pile of sand? I wish I could share with you a perfect five-point sermon all about how you dream in the desert, but that would be doing a disservice to some of the hardest seasons of your life. There's no one-size-fits-all for loss or tragedy or desert seasons. When I was walking through the desert, the Lord gave me this question to ask over my life, which is, what is true? So every day, I would just ask this question, what is true? And the Lord would declare these things over me. And that's what I have to offer you all today, is just, what is the truth that the Lord is declaring over us in the desert that we can hold on to while we're learning to dream in that space? So today we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter 43. This is a chapter in the Bible that the Lord just gave to me to share this morning. It was significant for me in the desert. And this chapter is full of truths that the Lord is declaring over his people. So at the start of Isaiah, he prophesies the capture of the Israelite people by Assyria and Babylonia. And then in the second half of Isaiah, he prophesies, it hasn't happened yet, but he prophesies this servant who we know to be Jesus, who will come and redeem God's people. We are in the second half of Isaiah with chapter 43. So let me just read it to you. Now, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, you are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched. When you walk through the fire, and the, the, you will walk, when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. And I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons and daughters from far away and my, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. So the first truth that I want to share with you this morning from the book of Isaiah is God is our personal God. So one of the most beautiful things to me about this passage of scripture, and one of the reasons why I think the Lord gave it to me, is that it shows how intimately God knows and loves us. The desert season, the valley, it's lonely, it's isolating, and the enemy wants you to believe that you are alone, and that no one can possibly understand or relate to what you are going through in that season. But verse one says, now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. 
God is your creator. He is the one who formed you. The God who gives you dreams in the desert and redeems you in the desert is the one who calls you by name and claims you as his own. He knows intimately what this desert season means for your life. He knows what it means for your story. He knows what the promise of the second mountain means to you more than you ever will. And then he says, do not fear because he has redeemed you. You, you personally, he has come into your story and he has pulled you from that second mountain into the desert because he wants to redeem and do a good work within you. One that only he knows about because he knows you intimately and he calls you by your name. He tells us in verse two that when we pass through the waters, when we walk through the fire, we will not go under and we will not be burned because he will be with us in the desert. I remember when I was walking through one of those hard moments in DC and I asked the Lord those questions we were just talking about, why? Why am I having to go through this? Why am I having to walk through this? Why didn't you keep this from happening to me? And I felt him speak something to me that I'll never forget. He said, I am so sorry that you are here, but I've been waiting for you in this desert and I will walk with you through it. Because the Lord who calls you by your name is the one who goes before you. He waits in the desert for you to come so that he can carry you through that season. And not only is God with you, but he actually knows how you're feeling. In verses three to four, it says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. God is spelling out his plan of redemption for his people, how he will sacrifice anything for them. I read another translation in verse four that said this, I willingly give up nations in exchange for you, a man to save your life. Like I said, the book of Isaiah is declaring the coming of Jesus as our personal savior. Jesus, who came to this earth to walk through the valley of the shadow of death so that he could relate to us in our desert seasons. God tells us time and time again and shows us that he will be the personal God that comes close. Another time when I was feeling lonely and rejected, I was praying to the Lord and I was like, why do I have to feel rejected? That's the worst feeling, who wants to feel rejected? And I felt him say to me, you don't think I ever felt rejected. He has been rejected more than any of us, but he is the one who came to earth to sit in a feeling so that thousands of years later, he could sit in my desert season with me and say, me too. I have felt that too. God is our personal God, the one who's waiting for us in the desert to walk through these things with us. And he has magnificent plans for our story, which brings me to my next truth. God formed you for his glory. Verse seven says, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. God created us for his glory. This is where we see the full picture of this desert and mountain tool because the truth is that it is discipleship. God is discipling us through these desert seasons. Even when it's hard, even when we don't understand it, he is the one who is, he formed us that he can take us from one orientation to reorientation time and time again as he makes us look more and more like him in the desert. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his, own, into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the spirit. 
Sometimes, like we know, the world throws us into the desert or God takes us there, but I think he uses every part of our desert season for his story as he's forming us for his glory and so that we can experience his glory. This is something that we have to embrace in the desert because the promise of the second mountain isn't that all of our desert hardships will be fixed. The promise of the second mountain is that we will be formed to look more and more like Jesus while we are in the desert. Remember earlier when I was talking about that plan for our life for DC, how it involved my husband getting this job that would just make everything else in our life fall into place. Like I said, he's still looking for a job. And what the Lord spoke to me at the beginning of this year is that is the desert season I had been putting myself in. For the last four years, I had been walking through this desert season that I didn't even know about because it had just become this undercurrent of my life. I confused our kingdom dream with desert circumstances. I said to God, if you fix this thing, all of our dreams will come true. But God never promised that all of our circumstances will be fixed. He never promised that all of the desires of our heart would come true. He promised that he would be with us, that he would be our personal God, that he would meet us in the desert and transform us from glory to glory so that we can experience and live for his glory. Because the truth is, this could be what our mountain and desert map looks like. And if I trade the promises of God for a worldly dream, I will be stuck in the desert for the rest of my life. If I sit around waiting for a job that might never come because I've declared that to be the kingdom dream over my family, I will keep us in the desert and hold us back. I have to choose to climb the second mountain and live into the promises of God, even when I don't see everything working out the way that I thought it would. I have to understand that my kingdom dream is not my husband getting the perfect job or us getting a retirement plan or living in a house. Maybe we'll live in an apartment forever. My kingdom dream is to declare the identity as sons and daughters of the king to everyone in this room, everyone I meet. My kingdom dream is to bring hope and healing to every space that I enter into. My kingdom dream is to grow, to look more and more like Jesus through every desert season that I have to walk through. Now, This does not mean that our circumstances are not hard or that circumstances don't put us in a desert season, but we have to learn how to grow and be transformed in the midst of potentially lifelong desert. We have to trust that God is with us and we cannot turn our circumstances into idols that become our kingdom dreams. Which brings me to the next truth. Our God is the only God. Continuing in Isaiah, but this time in verses 10 through 12. You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me. There will be none after me. I am the Lord. Beside me, there is no savior. I alone declared, saved, and proclaimed and not some foreign God among you. So you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and I am God. It's so easy to create idols in the desert. When we're in the desert season, when we're in the midst of all that sand, we will give our trust and faith and worship to almost anything to get out of that desert. I follow this person on Instagram who was walking through, I know Instagram again with the wisdom, who was walking through this really hard season. Her her son was in the hospital and they'd been there for months. And this person who was a prayer warrior in their life had spoken this prayer that she posted to Instagram that I wanna read to you all today because it's just stuck with me in every season. It says, one of, it says, one of our son's prayer warriors messaged me recently and said, we are not running out of time. 
Time is not our God. And she's right. I know with every stitch of my being that our loving, compassionate, and merciful God is sovereign over all of our sons, days, hours, and minutes. And while that knowledge is an immense comfort, the waiting is becoming more and more painful by the second. For me, for my family, for you, for the people you love, for all of us who have the clock and the odds stacked against us today, we'll say it together. Time is not our God. The odds are not our God. Sickness, circumstances, confusion, and uncertainty do not get to receive our worship. Whew, that is a word. <laughs> because when we're in the desert, when we're at these times, we will turn things into idols because we want to take back control of our dreams not coming to pass. I have done that since we moved back to Georgia. I have disqualified my family from things because I had this job in front of me as an idol. I thought, when Clyde gets this job, then we can start living a real life because we felt shame that we didn't have it all together, that we weren't the ones who had the retirement plan. And I felt like if he had a job, we could travel and we could own a home and we could do all these things that would give us a real life. I turned a job into an idol and I felt the shame in our life building and building while our hope was diminishing and diminishing my trust into, sorry, I put all of my trust into an idol of this world, but then I was blaming God that things weren't coming to pass. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has, who has been given to us. When we walk through this desert season, we have to remember who we are putting our hope into, not in our, to our circumstances, not that the promise of the second mountain will fix everything in our life, but the promise that through this desert season and, and into the second mountain that God will be transforming us to look more and more like him and that we will get to experience the hope of his glory. Which brings me to my final point this morning. To dream in the desert, we must dream in the unseen. Continuing in Isaiah 43, 16 through 19, this is what the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path through raging water who brings out the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty one together. They lie down, they do not rise again, they are extinguished, put out like a wick. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming, do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. God has a plan for what he has prepared for us in this next season. He is the one that will make a way in the wilderness and carve rivers in the desert. And how will he do that? We have to forget the former things. We have to leave behind that first mountain. We have to forget our, our orientation. We have to leave behind our Egypts. And we have to walk into the desert. And even if we don't see it or understand it, we have to trust the new thing that God has said he is going to do. We may have an idea of what our kingdom dream was meant to be, just like Clyde and I did when we were in, before I moved to DC. But we must remember that just because the dreams we had for our lives aren't coming true, doesn't mean that God isn't transforming us into the person that will live out a kingdom dream that we could have never imagined. 
and the band can go ahead and come back up too. Um, but when I was flung into that desert season that I mentioned before, I was so frustrated. I wanted that second mountain back more than anything. I wanted to be back in that orientation because I didn't see anything wrong with the relationship that I had with God on that first mountain. But what I didn't understand when I was on the first mountain is that some things weren't right. And I had to walk through the desert to learn that. It took a lot of time and a lot of heartbreak and a lot of hard work, but slowly, I could feel the Lord declaring over my heart and over my soul, look, I am about to do something new. Even now, it is coming. Do you not see it? God had a deeper and a fuller and a richer and a more glorious relationship prepared for me to have with him than I could have ever imagined for myself. But I had to wander through the desert with him to receive that more beautiful relationship with him. Nothing about that experience lined up with the plans or the promises that I thought that I had from the Lord. But the truth is that we may not be able to see all of the plans that we had envisioned for our life come true, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a more glorious plan at work for us. Which brings me to the final verse I just wanna declare over us this morning, 2 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared incredible things for each of us, for everyone in this room, but it's gonna take us leaving the comfort of that first mountain of that orientation because there are some dreams that God can only give us in the desert. There are some things that we can only uncover about who he is and who we are when we are walking through that desert season with him. And at times it's gonna be, it's gonna be really hard and it's gonna feel hopeless, but we have a personal God who is gonna meet us there. He's already waiting to walk with you through that desert to make sure that you are not overwhelmed, you are not burned by the fire. And he's gonna redeem you because he knows you intimately. And even if your word for the year going into 2022 is dead silence with uncertainty, we can trust that the Lord is gonna enter into that silence and declare over each of us, I have called you by name, you are mine. Look, I am about to do something new, even now. It is coming. So this morning, we're about to enter into a time of worship. We have communion available. If you're at home, we encourage you, sit with your family, maybe take communion together, serve it to one another, and just listen to what the Lord has to declare over the season that you're in right now. Whether you're on the first mountain or you're in the desert or you're about to reach that dream of your second mountain, he has a truth that he wants to speak over you, that he's with you, he's walking with you, and he's ready to do something new in your life. So Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this time that we've had together. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for the season that they're walking in. I thank you that you know them so intimately. You know their story. You know the season that they're in right now and you are with them. You are walking with them. You know their name. You know their heart. You know their life. And I just pray for all of the beautiful and new things that we are going to see you do in 2022. I just declare that in this space right now, just new things, the new thing that you are doing, that we'd forget the former things and walk into the new things.